retired homicide detective. I've interviewed thousands of people, from serial killers to ministers. Welcome to the interview room. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the interview room. It's so great to see everybody. They're playing my song. So a couple things tonight. Um, I'm so grateful each and every one of you are here this evening uh, and that the things that we're going to talk about this evening, uh, of course, all parties are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. These are strictly our opinions. Uh, they are not evidence in a court of law in any way, shape, or form. And, of course, as you can tell, I'm a big football fan. Um, I'd rather listen to this. So tell me where you're at this evening. And I am still in the Palmetto State in South Carolina. For those of you that don't know, I was actually born in North Carolina and then of course, my dad, um, being in the Marine Corps at the time, got transferred out to Hawaii. Uh, and that's pretty much where I did my childhood, out there at the Marine Corps Air Station in, in Kaneohe and Kailua area. So aloha to all of our Hawaiian folks out there. We love you guys. Uh, and I kind of grew up with that Hawaiian spirit. And then eventually, um, my father retired at Camp Pendleton in uh, 1975 a couple of weekends ago and ultimately i did um, the rest of my life out there uh, until we uh, moved again and as you know karen and i are um, traveling this great country uh, in this airstream behind me uh, and it's allowed us to go and do and see uh, the actual locations of where these um, incidences are taking place. Well, Alec Murdeck, man, oh man, have you guys been following this trial? Um, I got to tell you, <laughs> it's been a doozy. And, um, you know, there this case... Um, a couple of things. I've approached this case, and we're going to see Karen tonight, too, later on, where she's going to come up in a little while, and she's going to give us a, a, an update. Uh, but until that uh, moment, she's uh, asked me to kind of lay out um, my observations in some of the early on investigative things that took place. 
you know, these types of situations, when you see them starting to unfold uh, in the court, it is really uh, interesting how uh, the DA gets this case file and then they start laying out things. But remember, I talked about uh, a couple of technologies that would probably come out. One of them was Gladiator. Um, it's really kind of behind the scenes. There's a lot more that uh, isn't even discussed in the courtroom uh, because it's a box. And the the capabilities of this technology is absolutely amazing. So uh, what we saw over the last testimony of this week from the uh, cast team member from the FBI, uh, he talked about driving uh, in that area and basically mapping out the cell, tone, cell phone towers and information in relationship to that. That is the Gladiator technology. And then, of course, the other stuff that we've mentioned here many times on the interview room is a technology called Celebrite. And in a nutshell, what Celebrite is, when you go to AT&T, for an example, or T-Mobile or Verizon or any of the other carriers, and you say, hey, I want to keep my phone number, but I want all my stuff moved from this phone to this phone. Well, there's what they call a UFED box uh, behind the counter there. And they basically connect both phones to this box and this box wires and transfers all that data over. Well, that technology is Celebrite. And for law enforcement, that technology, once you have a search warrant, uh, we have a, they have a different box uh, that does the exact same thing only on steroids. And then there are um, parts of that tool. There, there's software that comes with it uh, where it can do you know, mapping. It can do all kinds of really, really cool stuff. It can, when I say mapping, meaning it can pull photos, it can pull phone numbers, it can pull contact information, uh, and just a, a steroid um, amount of information that can be uh, brought in. It was actually that company that broke uh, the terrorist phone years ago, um, where the password could not be identified. So uh, it's good stuff. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, uh, the tools that are available uh, to law enforcement today. And we've done a whole podcast about that, actually, even in the um, Moscow um, murders. I talked about that at length. Um, so Tuesday's Valentine's Day. Don't forget to take your partner out for Valentine's Day. I'm taking my sweetheart out. Uh, this is the first she's hearing about it because I've kept it a secret. Uh, but I'm going to kidnap her for that evening. And uh, so don't forget, you know, to have those that you love around you uh, that day. Man, oh man, I'll tell you, one of the first things you learn in Homicide 101, and that is, thank you, Naomi, that is, go back to the beginning, to the very beginning, always go back to the crime scene, 
go back to the statements and pay close attention to the minutia details. So there are, this case has really been going on for, you know, almost two years. And it is, there are just so many curveballs, you know, knuckleballs, fastballs, you know, coming in every different direction that you really can't keep up with it. But I will tell you, I'm in a pitch, a podcast. Uh, it's called the Murdeck Murders. And it is a, it's a young lady, a journalist here in South Carolina. If you have not heard those podcasts, get, get over there and listen to them. They're fantastic. And she has a wealth of information and it's constantly being updated. She sticks to the facts, um, you know, and she's just, I think her name is Wendy. And I want to give a shout out to Wendy tonight because I've been listening to her stuff the last, you know, two days here. And I got to be honest with you, she, that young lady is on to, on to something. And hopefully uh, you get a chance to go over there and support Mandy, Mandy. That's who it is. Mandy. I'm sorry. Did I say Wendy? Thank you, Mandy. Yes. Here is her name. Thank you. I am so sorry, Mandy, for messing that up up hey um yes thank you yeah there's yeah and we're going to talk about that boots and shark teeth mud boots and shark teeth love it absolutely love it we are going to talk about the statement and i'm going to point out some things tonight that i have to give a shout out to sled and that the investigators that were sitting in that car, even though as uh, humble as it looked, you know, this was within, you know, hours after the um, murders where they're sitting in that car. And I can tell you, I, I can't tell you how many times I've sat in a car like that, but, you know, we didn't have video. We had tape recorders. And then, of course, we would take them downtown and then, a, you know, put them in an interview room. And then, and that's why the name of this um, YouTube channel is the interview room. Because I, I can tell you, I have, I have a lot of memories with a lot of suspects. But what I want to tell you about what this sled agent did was very, very, very great. Masterful work. Masterful work. What he did is he locked in Mr. Murdoch for eternity. He locked him in. And I'll tell you, man, <laughs> I was watching that and just could not get enough of it. Uh, and so what I want to do is point out some of those subtleties. Why I want to point out some of those subtleties that uh, he brought into the conversation, i.e. Mr. Murdoch, and that he tried to manipulate the movement of what I'll call wordsmithing the conversation. I'll tell you, 
uh, we're gonna, I'm gonna point them out tonight. You guys are, we're all gonna see it together. And if you'll notice on the thumbnail um, that I put up, you look at his eyes and what he was doing constantly was what what we used to call reflection so they would he would speak and he'd look and he'd watch the investigator and then he would reflect back up here as to where he needed to go in the conversation but this investigator was just dynamic in luring him down that path and the sheriff in the back uh, hit him a couple of times with, I'm going to say, knuckleball on the outside of the plate. And Alex buckled just for a second. So before I get into that, I want to thank our mods, Miss Sophia, Maui Girl, Teresa M, and Mimi J2. We love you. We're grateful for you. And we're thankful that each and every one of you in the audience is here this evening. So I'm going to do this in a couple of ways. I'm going to do, you know, a, a start, stop, start, stop, no. And we can discuss this together. Um, so, you know, Alec, Murdoch, it's time to, you know, let, let's, see, let's see what you say here. Okay, you guys ready? All right, so let me tee this up here. And then we're going to go forward, and I'm going to stop it as we go, like I just mentioned. Okay, just a second. Move my notes. Okay, right from the get-go, look at how he's looking at what the detective is writing down all right so in an interview one of the things that uh, you learn uh, watching these this not only body language but you you know the eyes are as they say are the windows to the soul right well i don't know if the if there's even a window here um but I can tell you this, those eyes are dead giveaway when you're worried about something, okay? So even before the interview starts, he's already starting to look around to see what his playing field's going to be. And if you'll notice that, or if you remember, remember for generations, the Murdoch family you know, solicitors uh, in this area, which basically, you know, the, the, the DA, the elected DA. The, the fact that he already is in a position of influence, he's been a, a civil attorney, he's been a, a prosecutor, his family is well-known, they've been prosecutors, so he's starting this interview off in a very, um, what he believes to be a commanding position. The interviewee 
or the interviewer, the detective, is just as cool as a cucumber. And it's just like another day, you know, at the office, uh, sitting in the in the car, and he's gonna he's gonna lower lower his um, statute stature to allow Alec to run. And the whole purpose of this interview this night was to lock him in, lock him in. Because what suspects forget sometimes is every lie is evidence. But here you have a situation where He's just discovered his deceased wife. He's just discovered his deceased son. Not only that, he's also mentioned that his son's cranium and body parts are laying next to him, i.e., right? And this is his response on this evening and his discovery. So I'm going to let it run for a minute, and then I'm going to stop. All right, Mr. Murdoch, um, just take your full name for me, please. Richard Alexander Murdoch. <clears throat> and spell your last name so I get it correct. M-U-R-D-A-U-G-H. All right. And you go by Alec? And date of May 27th, 1968. And a good phone number for you. 803-942-1227. And sir, what was your name? Yeah, Danny Henderson. Okay. All right, now there's a couple of things going on here. Uh, we used to call this sod, some other dude, right? Uh, now, they're both lawyers. And whenever you have uh, somebody who may have guilty knowledge, what they will typically do is bring a friend. And as you're talking to them, now in this case, you know, both lawyers are going to be there because he's representing him. And in this, but in other cases, what will happen is during the interview, he'll say, well, if you don't believe me, go ask, you know, Saad out in the, in the lobby who's waiting on the, on the couch out there, and he'll tell you the exact same thing. So in this particular case, Saad is in the back seat. Okay. Now, that tells us a whole bunch right there because he had to call him and get him there. All right? Not that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying you've just discovered your family deceased and, you know, you're going to be talking about it. So, of course, you're going to need your lawyer, right? All right. Um as I stated, I'm David Owen and Laura Rutland with Colleton County, and I'm a sled. 
I hate to have to do this. I but, understand. Yeah. I totally yeah. understand. Yeah. So you don't you don't have any problem yeah. with it. So um, just start the top. Take your time. Um, like when I came back here. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what I will call that is a set point. What what he wants to do is talk about. You know, tell us what you what's going on here this evening. And Alec set points it by asking a question to a question. I mean, I pulled up and I could see him and, you know, I knew something was bad. I ran out. I knew it was really bad. <laughs> so he pulls up. He could see them. He knew it was bad. He knew it was really bad. And now the emotion is going to start here, but let's qualify that, shall we? My, my boy over there, I could see it was. I could see his brain on <laughs> And I ran over to Maggie. And uh, actually, I think I tried to turn Paul over first. Um, uh, you know, I tried to turn him over. Okay, so he the first thing he does is he says he ran, you know, he sees Paul, he sees this horrible sight. He runs over to Maggie, and then he corrects that to, um, I think I tried to turn him over. Well, I did turn him over. And this is the first introduction of evidence. And uh, I don't know, I figured it out. Um uh, his cell phone popped out of his pocket. Okay, first introduction of evidence. Why is this significant? Because we've now heard testimony that cell phones have been moved from the bodies, Maggie's phone. And, of course, we heard testimony from the investigators that the screen had gone uh, into, you know, horizontal mode you know, and then back. So, of course, I've not seen family victims in my experience who've seen this tragedy, this amount of horror that the cell phone becomes significant. In fact, most of the time, and I'm not saying, you know, people, we all deal with trauma differently, but, you know, all of a sudden your son is deceased in front of you. There are body parts laying around him. You try to roll him over and his cell phone pops out. And what's interesting here is he said he wants to do something with it. I started to try to do something with it, thinking, Okay, I'm I'm going to play that back. All right. 
So first of all, he tried to do something with it. Well, all right. And so the investigator, you'll notice he's, he's just taking this in. To, you know, he's just taking this in like, go, man, keep going. Because, you know, you, you've, your emotional response to you discovering your son, it's bad, it's real bad. You just pull up. And all of a sudden, you see the trauma that you see. And, you know, I might as well pick up his phone and try to do something with it. And it gets better. Maybe, but then I put it back down really quickly. Um, then I went to my wife and I, I mean, I could see. Mm -hmm. Did you touch Maggie at all? I did. I touched them both. Okay. I tried to take. I mean, I tried to do it as limited as possible, mm -hmm. but I, I tried to take their pulse on both of them. Okay, now watch his eyes. Look at his eyes right there. He is looking at the investigator to see if he's buying the soggy bread being sold here. Can everybody see that? This is just my opinion. If I was sitting in that car, because this this uh, sled agent's just as he's just like cool as as it can be. But you'll notice he's not looking at him, and he's he's doing that on purpose because later on they went back and watched this. And what he's doing, right? I mean, is a checks and balance. Okay, is this guy is he getting this? If he is he getting this? All right. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> she is nice She's and um uh, you know i called 911 um pretty much right away and i called 911 pretty much right away those are very interesting words and she was very good um she he compliments the dispatcher in all this trauma I talked to her. Um, I told her I was going to get off the phone to call some family members. <coughs> I did that. Um, and um, what family members did you call? Even? I called my brother Randy. And I called my brother John. And I tried to call a little boy real good friend that's right around the corner from here but i didn't get him okay okay so now i'm going to go into a personal grab here for a second when we lost our son i can tell you the moment my phone rang i can also tell you i went into a spin and at the, even at the time I was working homicide and our son died in an accident. I can tell you the moment my phone rang, I can tell you I did not call all of his friends at all in any way, shape or form. Now I'm not saying, you know, 
that's right or wrong or he he didn't have you know the same experience in me i get it not a problem right but why are you calling paul's friends when you're standing over your son's dead body what all was around um paul when you walked up blood any any other anything else i mean all right so now this is really cool take a look at uh, a guy in the back you'll notice where the investigator went here for a minute he he just threw uh curveball outside corner and I i'm going to move this back here for a second because i want you to see the body language of the guy in the back when he goes to let's get minutiae details about what's around the crime scene watch the guy in the back lean towards the other deputy and then look at the agent who's asking questions and i tried to call let me back it up here for a second And I tried to call a little boy, real good friend that's right around the corner from here, but I didn't get him. And notice that guy is in the back seat looking at what the detective is writing on her notebook. So what they're doing is they're taking messaging in. This is significant because later on, Murdoch gets all of his attorney friends in the same room and they talk strategy. Now, this is really interesting because what they're doing is they're, ga- they're gathering intelligence for a later conversation. What all was around, um, Paul, when you walked up? Blood. Any, any other, anything else? There it is. I mean, there was some body mm-hmm. things, yes, sir. I mean, like any other evidence. I know you said the phone fell out the pocket, um, but did you see anything else that didn't belong or shouldn't belong or that wasn't part of Paul? Mm, no, sir, not, no, not the, no, sir. How about Maggie? No, sir. You didn't see anything around them? What made you come out here tonight? Um, I went to my mom's late stage Alzheimer's patient. My dad's in the hospital. Um, my mom gets anxious when she does. I went to check on them and Maggie. Maggie's a dog lover. And okay. She fools with the dogs. And I knew she'd gone to the kennel. I was at the house. I left the house and went to my mom's for just a little while. Tried to call her when I left. Texted her. No response. Um, So he's laying out a lot of what, obviously, the defense became. 
because we've heard it, we're, we're hearing it now, little bits and pieces. But I'm going to point out something here tonight uh, in a little bit that um, I think they missed. When I got back to the house, the house. See, that was a pause to think. And the investigator just house was letting obviously go. nobody was in there. So I figured they're still up here fooling around. Paul was um, going to be getting set up to plant our sunflower seeds got sprayed and died. And he was refiguring to do to plant the sunflower seeds. Okay. So I came back up here. So, Kelly, let me let me tell you something real fast. It's pronounced Murdeck. Because if you'll watch the beginning of this video, that's how he pronounced his own name. But I thank you so much for bringing that to my attention. And I drove up and saw and called. Had Maggie and Paul been arguing over anything? No. What was their relationship like? Wonderful. Wonderful. How about yours and Maggie's? Wonderful. I mean, I'm sure we had little things here and there, but we had a wonderful marriage, mm -hmm. wonderful relationship. And yours and Paul's relationship? As good as it could be. That's an interesting comment. As good as it could be. What say you? Because Mallory Beach, circumstances were going on. A whole bunch of other stuff. And if you look at uh, Danny in the back, I guess that's his attorney. He's looking at him like, well, that's an interesting comment. If you look at Alec now, looking over here at the investigator, they're making eye contact. How old is Paul? 22. Okay. You know his date of birth? I do. April 11th, 96 is his brother's. April 14th, 99 is Paul's. Now, what's interesting is he gave his other son's birthday first. When we're talking about Paul. What's Maggie's full name? So is this a... Uh, favorite son situation I don't know if when the investigator asked me my son's date of birth I knew right away and we have four kids I didn't give him the other three just saying Margaret Branstetter Murdoch and her date of birth sir September 15, 1968. <clears throat> Have y'all been having any problems out here? Trespassers, people I, breaking in? None that I know of. The only thing that what comes to my mind is my son Paul was in a boat wreck uh, a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. And there's been a 
you know, he was charged with being uh, arrested for being the driver. There's been a lot of negative publicity about that. And there's been a lot of people online, just really vile stuff. But when Paul's out and about, I mean, people routinely, I don't think I know the full story. Um, so I don't think they give it to me, but I mean, he's been punched. Now, I don't know how to, you know, read into that because he was there the night of the incident at the hospital. And so he's now kind of laying out, well, you know, there are a lot of people online that are upset about this, um, Mallory Beach incident. And maybe this is a motive. So what he's doing here is he's going to offer a couple of different motives of why this thing would go down. And in the interim, he's also going to distance himself from any physical evidence that um, would connect the two. And hit and just attacked a lot. So, you know, but I mean, nothing like this. Yeah. Any, any one person in particular or group of people? I don't know. That you could think of? Not that I know, no, sir. That's a cell. Has he, other than being assaulted, has he received any direct threats related to the boat accident? Oh, yes. All the time. He gets Recently? Um, yes, sir. I mean, he gets them all the time. Okay. He gets them all the time. <clears throat> what kind of, I mean. I'm going to kick your ass, you know. I, I've never been privy firsthand, mm -hmm. you know. Um, Is that through social media? or? No, ma'am. It's mostly like if, if he goes out places is what you know what he goes out like somewhere he's in college so if he goes out is what i understand mm -hmm. and i can find out better details from some of his younger friends on that who's his best friend uh, um now that's interesting because there he he's going to try to control a narrative he's going to interject himself to all of his friends and find out details uh, about these alleged threats which obviously, you know, his son is deceased. And right now you have two homicide investigators sitting in the car. And um, why, you know, why is he going to dig into this? Let the authorities do their thing. I've never had family victims. They start focusing on the victims and let the authorities start figuring out the whys. His best friend in Columbia is, is, um, Wills Chapman, Will Loving. Um. Now, one of the other things I want you to recognize here about his personality, and, and I know people, you know, are criticizing about how his name's pronounced. Quite frankly, I don't care how his name's pronounced. If it's Murdoch, Murdoch, Alec, Alex, I don't care. Okay? He's in custody for killing two people. And the court's certain, you know, he's going through the court system right now. 
Let them sort it out. What I do care, though, is how he treats people. And in this in this incident, you can see where he's trying to command the narrative here. And one of the responses that he's going to give this sheriff in the back seat is going to tell you a whole bunch about how he treats other people. Bobby Boyle, Bobby Boyle, Will Chapman, and Paul were getting ready to move into a house together in Columbia. You said, um, you said Will Chapman and Will Loving? That- Will's Wills with an S, okay. Chapman, and Will with an L, Loving. Okay. Um, um, around here, his best friends are clearly Nolan Tootin and Rogan Gibson. And what he's doing here is he's planting narrative. Planting narrative. Tootin, Nolan Tootin. Yes, sir. Did you see him look down at what he's writing? He's making sure that his narrative is getting heard right there. Look at his look at his eyes. They're down at his clipboard. And then you have the other gentleman in the back who keeps looking over at the sheriff, making sure the narrative is correct. And what was the other one? I'm sorry. Rogan Gibson. His guys are uh, are giving him away. Have you talked with any of these guys tonight? Uh, you know, what the old saying is, you know, this lies all the time, but these never lie. I've, I've always been a firm believer of that. Also, you can see this sometimes pulsating. You can see the cheeks start to move sometimes. Out with Nolan, yes, sir. Is he? There's a cell. Out here? Yes, sir. Okay. I tried to call Rogan was one of the people that he's the boy that I told you lives okay. around the corner. Okay. That's very, you know, he's just a good, helpful young man. You mind if I open the door real quick? Go right in. Do what you need to do. <clears throat> so, is there anybody that you can think of that we need to talk to tonight? Is there a name that comes to mind? I mean, I can't tell you anybody that I'm overly suspicious of off the top of my head you know um i mean this is such a stupid thing i'm even embarrassed to say it okay another narrative of sod right some other dude he knows it's a stupid thing he's embarrassed to say it i mean however i might as well throw the guy under the bus while i'm here tonight but it just didn't make any sense. I just hired a guy out here, mm-hmm. and he really he wasn't cutting the mustard, but I hadn't told him this yet. Paul's been working with him a lot. He killed the sunflower seeds in our dove field just recently, which is why Paul was here doing this. He told Paul a story the other day about how when he was in high school, he got in a fight with some black guys. And the FBI undercover team observed him fighting those guys and put him on an undercover team with three Navy SEALs. And that their job was to kill radical Black Panthers 
and they did that from Myrtle Beach to Savannah. Okay, and the Oscar goes to, right? Uh, let's see, Sm Susan Smith tried that one a while ago. Didn't work in South Carolina then. I still don't think it worked in this one, but we'll see. Now, I really don't think this guy, you know, mm -hmm. is probably the person, but that's just so friggin'. Yeah, that's kind of far-fetched story. It's weird, but he was off today. Okay. He took his daddy to the doctor. So the guy's not working that day, so therefore he must be in the circle of um, suspects. What's his name? C.B. Rowe. R-O-W-E? Yeah, and I sent him a message to text me earlier today. Of course he did. About sunflowers, and he called me back when I was on the way to my mom's house. Mm -hmm. <laughs> did you talk to him at that time? Briefly. I was on the phone with a lawyer friend of mine named Chris Wilson from Bamberg, so I told him I'd call him back okay. tomorrow, see him in the morning. When you briefly talked to um, Mr. Rowe, what was his demeanor or attitude? Or I mean, it seemed normal. I mean, I asked him about the sunflowers, and so, you know, I mean, I'm sure he's a little bit. Where does he live? I don't exactly know. Somewhere in Bluff, I mean, in Bronson. Okay. <clears throat> do you have his phone number? I do. You got it with you, closer. Okay. So this may be uh, an interesting uh, observation here, but I'll let you guys tell me what you think. I want you to look at the wallpaper on the phone that he pulls out. And I did a little research on it because that wallpaper looked really familiar. And you know how when you reset your phone, the manufacturer gives you three choices of a screen? Um, tell me what you think. I do. You know, but I do think, think him and Paul got, got along pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um that's just really, really weird. All right. Um, okay, you're going to get a better look at it, too, here in a minute. CB. And this is called the skills screen. Right there. Lap. Here, I know he called me. Eight four three five four zero nine three three five. You need to get that phone on the charge, Yannick, if you can. Is that an iPhone? Yes, sir. Uh, watch your leg for a second, please. Thank you. <laughs> <clears throat> when did you? When did he tell that story to Paul? Uh, sometime last week. Okay.
So this is one o'clock in the morning and, um, if he's never changed that, uh, you know, background, you know, set it to a family picture. I mean, it's a loving father. Um, then your, your phone, the manufacturer, Apple gives you three choices of screens and they're automatic, you know, they just come up. So I Sometime last week, interesting. um, my son, Paul actually. Well, that was a good shot right there. You could see it. And I really do not think on all honesty that it's him, but I know mm -hmm. y'all got to check it out. But Paul. was so taken aback by it that he sent, I'll find it. I got it on my phone. He, he recorded him saying bits and pieces of it. Yeah. Huh. No. I, I think if you look at the guy in the back seat, I had a, you know, kind of chuckle here for a second. Doesn't he look like, you know, <laughs> you know like, really? <laughs> okay, we're we're running with this one. But for all his weirdness, I, I mean, I do think they like, I mean, they got along. So the murder of his wife and his son and this individual who's hanging out with Navy SEALs, taking out Black Panthers. Now, that's a lot of weirdness for one night. Okay. Pretty good. How long have you been working here? Uh, I guess about um, three or four pay periods. So, um, eight weeks, a couple months. Okay. Okay, right there. That This is a great one. He is looking to make sure his narrative is being sold here. There's five steps to a sale. Prospect, personalize, promote, create, and close. Okay. He's doing all, all five of these. He's looking over like, well, that that's, uh, you know, I got my prospect here. Uh, um I'm personalized with him. I'm promoting it. I'm creating it. Time to go for the close. And where does he go for the close? He goes for, when I say the close, he goes for the shotgun. Going back to the boat incident. Um... Oh, boat incident. Look at his eyes. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We were just talking about, you know, the Navy SEALs. Anybody on that boat? Really have a hard on for Paul that you would think would come after him or know of any direct threats from people on the boat? I don't know of any direct threats between any of the people on the boat okay. specifically, but I, I do think there's been a small amount of yip yap between a couple of them but not recently okay 
most of this was stuff from people that Paul didn't really know. Okay. So Saad, some other dude, most of the stuff going on from around Paul was from total strangers. So therefore it could be a total stranger that took him out. So you guys need to start going and looking for that total stranger. It was some people that he knew distantly, but more times than not, when I learned about it, it was somebody that he didn't know. Um, it's like, for example, he went out in Charleston a couple months ago, came back, you know, he got a black eye and, you know, he can't defend himself right now because he has these charges. So, you know, he would, Paul was a real tough man's man, mm -hmm. you know, he would just. He would defend himself, but he hadn't been. That's right. But how was he handling that case? Moving <coughs> over everybody. This is an interesting response. As far as what? How was he? As far as what? Handling it. I've never been prouder of him than the way he has handled the pressures and the adversity in that situation. I think I've told Danny that before. Mm -hmm. So anybody know who Danny is? Um, you got a blood alcohol level 28.28 you've got a another life taken from that boat accident and you know paul's a man's man so he would have stuck up for himself but he couldn't because of that boat accident you know you getting charged and all that stuff getting sued and all that knowing all that stuff um and the guy in the back seat that that's standing in the back seat then yeah. Yeah, he's told Danny all about it. I mean, Paul is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful kid. He can do almost anything. He gets along with almost anybody. <clears throat> do y'all store any weapons out here? Okay, now we're going to get into some sticky area because uh, a couple of things that he's done here. He's introduced the cell phone. He's introduced a narrative of Saad. Uh, and we've heard a lot of testimony this week from folks where he tried to, you know, intimidate them into changing their narrative. Um but here is going to be an interesting one because right now he knows that a, a um a weapon has been used but he doesn't necessarily know if it's um uh, you know his uh guns I don't know how he knew it was a shotgun that killed his son. But he introduces a shotgun into the conversation. Okay, so I'm getting a message real fast that my internet's going to fly here for a second. So I got to plug it in real fast. So you guys watch this for, for a second. Um, we don't store them, but they're, you know, they're frequently out here. Mm. Because... 
there was a shotgun. There was a 12 gauge shotgun out here. Uh, I'll have to find out exactly when that was. I think it got put up, but I'm not positive. What did that shotgun look like? Uh, it was a camouflage. Um, I, I want to say it was a Benelli or maybe a Beretta. I can't remember which brand it is. But I don't think it was out here. Okay. Recently. But I'm not positive. And the, the shotgun that you had, had when deputies pulled up, where did that gun come from? I went to the house and I got a gun. Probably overreacting, but... And was that when you pulled up and saw them? No, I, I mean, I came out and, I mean, I called 911 first. Mm -hmm. Talked to them for a little while, and then I told her. Told her? That I was going to go to the house. Okay. And that I would let authorities know when they got here that I had a gun. Okay. happen to have a list of all guns i can make one i don't have one yeah. but i can make one okay well i'm just saying you know so we could compare if that shotgun was out here and now it's missing absolutely um try to figure it guns yeah shotguns rifles, rifles. Pistols. any rifles yes sir and what kind of rifles all kinds. Yeah. All kinds. I mean... You okay, for obvious reasons, um, we know that's extremely significant to introduce a um, shotgun like this because he's going to... He put his hands on it. And what's interesting is he, he slips up, though, because he tells... He says he tells the dispatcher after he called 911 when the agent here calls him out on it, that he told the dispatcher that he had uh, a gun in his hand, a shotgun. Uh, I went back and I listened to the 911 tape. In fact, I'm going to play it at the end here. Um, and I didn't hear it, but you guys tell me. And he's also trying to plant that, uh, you know, the two, sh the two shooter theory. Everybody's like, well, how could there be two, two guns easily? If you have a, a sling on the, on the AR, that's not a problem. Just put it over you, boom, use shotgun, come up with the sling on the other gun, boom. You've got two weapons involved. It's not an issue. Um, I'm still having an issue here with my internet, though. I don't want to lose you guys, so um, I'm going to be working on that while we listen to the rest of this. You name it across the board, we have them. Okay. And I mean, they're all of them we have are, you know, in a hunting room in our house. What was their schedule today? When did they get home? My son works for my brother and he was coming home to deal with the sunflowers. Um, uh, he got here uh, he got here pretty early because he and I rode around looking at everything for a good little while, probably 
45 minutes to an hour. Um, Maggie had things she did in Charleston and um, she had a doctor's appointment in Charleston and she got back here. It was fairly late. Was it dark yet when Paul got home? No, Paul got home early. Early, okay. So before dinner time? Before oh, yes, ma'am. Lunch time? No, ma'am. Okay. <clears throat> what brother, what um, brother does Paul work for? John Marvin. And what does Paul do for him? Everything. Just handyman? Yes, sir. Okay, so I thought that was really interesting that he um, very clearly brings a weapon into this. Uh, and now, of course, we're hearing testimony uh, about one gun being missing and the second gun uh, there, the shotgun. Um, I don't know. I And the gunshot residue, all of that evidence. Well, you know, the GSR evidence is taken care of by, by this kind of conversation here. Of course, you're going to hear from the defense. They're going to say, well, of course he had gunshot residue on his hands or whatever, the clothing, et cetera. Uh, he was holding a gun. In fact, he even told the police that he, he was holding a gun that night. My, my question was, how did he know a shotgun was utilized to kill Paul? That's the question I have. And, and later on, you know, the investigator could have asked him that quick question, right? Was it unusual for Maggie to feed the dogs this time of night or check on them? Oh, no. I mean, she played with those dogs every, all the time. And it's especially common for her to, you know, she's been gone for a while mm -hmm. to come and let especially two of them out to run. Okay, so she pretty regularly comes out here in the evenings? Very regularly. Okay. She comes out here a lot. Do <clears throat> you have any cameras on your property? I have deer cameras, but none, you know, around up here. Where are they at? On, on different deer stands. So deep in the woods? Well, not necessarily deep in the mm -hmm. woods. Some of them are in fields and Okay. Um, but I don't there's none that you know are near here. Okay. <clears throat> um, what doctor's appointment what doctor did Maggie see today? Um, I forget the guy's name. Maggie's been having trouble with her she's been having trouble with her stomach and her tooth i'm not positive it was sort of a routine visit and i can't remember she told me the name of him and i can't i want to say gordine 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 okay. is um who i think she saw so was she back home around supper time or um, or six o'clock, seven o'clock. He's thinking about that answer. I don't think she got back quite that early. I think she got back a little bit later than that. Okay. Um, 
Still thinking. What did you do? He's looking over for confirmation. I'm going to sell this. Did you? Were you at the office or? No, nope, I was home. I came home. Paul and I messed around. I, I, uh, I was up at the house. I laid down, took a nap on the couch, probably, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes. I got up. I called Maggie. You notice whenever we people get into minutia details uh, about rolling your son over, I don't know. I figured it out. Taking a nap, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, I don't know. And look at his eyes, how he's looking at the investigator. Okay. Um, there are five steps to a sale. Remember, prospect, personalize, promote, create, and close. What he's doing is he's he's given a closing here in front of a a later jury, if it ever got that far in his mind, even I, I would submit to you at this point. Didn't get an answer and I left to go to my mom's. She had said she might ride with me, but she normally doesn't when See, whenever he puts something out there, he looks over to make sure that he's also able to verify the type of notes taking place. So th these are very subtle human behaviors. I go over there. Yet obvious when you've sat in rooms with hundreds of these guys. Um, and I think I texted her. I think I texted her. He, he's got a lot of detail. And she's very good about answering the phone. So that was odd or calling me back. Mm -hmm. So that was odd, but it wasn't that big a deal. Now, what time was that? What, what time was what? That you sent. Now, see, that was kind of an irritating question for him her a text message okay right there you get a clear shot now of his phone is that a reset screen i i, I know what it i i know apple they give you three choices like i mentioned and that's one of those screens I checked, texted her at 9.08, going to check on M, be right back. And then I texted her at 9.47. That must be when I started to come back. I think I called her before that. But let me make sure. Uh, pretty sure that I called her 9.45. And then I tried Paul. And then, no, I think that was riding. I think that might have been riding. Well, thank you, Jeremiah. Appreciate you being here. And um, good observation. Over there.
10.03. I mean, my calls are right here. Yeah. So, um, obviously, this is when, this is when I, at 10.06, There you go. I'm, I must be reading a lot into this because that's the reset screen. By the way, I put those two pictures in there just for Jeremiah. Can I help you? Yes, sir. Ah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Anybody else pull some gum? There it is again. You don't have any water, do you, Danny? You can clearly see that phone as some either A, he never did anything with his family, i.e. put a wallpaper or anything like that. Um, but that definitely looks like a reset screen. You tell me what you guys think in the chat. What do you think? I thought I don't need it. He's sitting, it's sitting on his lap right there. <laughs> if you, behind Danny's head, is a case of. Let's see here. Seems like a nervous tick. Yeah, Texas Spitfire. Love that name and thank you. It's not a big deal. Yeah, I got some right here. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you, ma'am. sure we're going to have much more questions i'm available at you know you let me know <clears throat> what um he is real interested in those notes you see that i used to watch attorneys while sitting at the table during murder trials they'd walk over and they'd kind of casually walk by the the prosecutor's desk just like that and they'd look down to see where the prosecutor was headed in their conversations. What's another number in case I can't get you on your cell? I don't have a house phone. Okay. Um, my office number. I can give you my brother's cell phones. Sod, right? In case you need to get hold of my brother. Uh, after all, it's my wife and my son who's murdered out here in the field. Might as well call my brother. All right. What's Randy's? Okay, Randy's is 803-943-8881. And John's? John Marvin's is 843-321-5508. And you said your dad's in the hospital? Yes, sir. How, which which hospital? Charleston or? Savannah, Savannah. Candler, St. Joseph's. Is he doing okay or what's? Uh, he's having a really, really hard time. He's got a lot, 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 lot going on. Okay. 
he's um he's he's doing okay giving everything but he's got a lot going on mm. about Maggie's family where are they Somerville have you been in touch with them tonight contacted yes I had my brother call Bart um the wife of his sister and I mean now that's an interesting um observation as well I mean he he says that um they're tight and maybe Karen can come up Karen when you get a chance, come on up. Uh, they're tight as a family, yet he won't. He didn't even call Maggie's parents or family himself. He had his other family members do it. Um, I mean, it seems like he could have picked up the phone and done that. I mean, he was about ready to call Paul's friends that evening, just saying. The husband of Maggie's sister... <coughs> so that they could go and tell Maggie's parents I felt like they needed to hear it in person mm -hmm. and they are going there and calling me so they must not be there yet Maggie's parents in Somerville yes and she, her mom just had a knee replacement surgery even if her parents were elderly uh, you would think the husband would want to tell them firsthand Adrian her dad really not his brother really has trouble getting around nowadays. I mean, that's just my opinion as a, as a, you know, somebody that's seen a lot of people tell other people what's going on. I could be do you wrong. Have any other children? I do. I have a 24 year old. That's right. You said. It. What's his name? Buster. Well, Richard Alexander Jr. Okay. He goes by Buster. He goes by Buster. Is he here tonight? He's on his way. Okay. Okay, Karen, so far, what do you think? What's your opinion? What's going on here? You know, I'm, I am loving the, all the comments in chat. You guys all have made some great observations. You know, his demeanor, just everything. Uh, I'm, I'm going to answer that as everything y'all think it is, it is. You know, and what's so fascinating right now, we're three weeks going on fourth week of trial starting tomorrow and now we have this excellent testimony to compare this to so as we're sitting here watching this video again in our minds we're going wait people already testified and you know dismissed you know made made this guy look like the liar that he is because so much of his story is now crumbling and it's interesting because everything you're pointing out with this car interview and everything we're seeing and feeling, you know, is now playing out in the courtroom. So it's extra fascinating to get to go back to this and, and see it. And, you know, I just I love I love reading everybody's comments because everybody has like great uh, insight into this as well. Laura, you got anything? Um, this one's hard, but when you first saw Paul, you said you tried to flip him over. 
Was he laying on his back or on his stomach? Just like he, he Just like he is. So you weren't able to move him. Okay. No, ma'am. Okay. Now, that's really interesting. Because Paul, however he's positioned right here, when the sled got there and the sheriffs got there, is the reason, or excuse me, is the position that Alec left him in. Yet he tried to move his body after witnessing his brain next to him. And as he tried to move his body, his cell phone dropped out. So, of course, he, you know, he picked it up to try to do something, quote unquote. But then he thought, you know, when maybe not, and then he put it down. The question is, where did he put it? In my mind. And, you know, your son's deceased. His body parts are laying there. It's caused you as much emotional trauma as you've described here. And so you're going to take his pulse and you're going to roll him over. And then when his cell phone drops out, rather than hug your child and grieve for the loss of your child, you might as well pick his phone up and think about doing something. Um, you know, he put the phone back in his pocket. That's even worse. I see the chat here. Um, he put the phone back in his pocket or he was sitting on his butt. I'm seeing two different answers here. So we don't know. I don't know. Hey, uh, I just don't, that just doesn't sound right. Chris, for me, mm -hmm. the most telling two words of this whole interview for me, Mm -hmm. Are the two words that he said, I, I called, I called 911 pretty much right away. Right. So to me, that's that leakage, the leakage of the truth, because as we know, these murders took place about 850 PM. And there's that whole hour because he doesn't even call 911 till 10. Right. And of course we know he changed his clothes um took a shower left a wet towel and a puddle on the floor of the bathroom as we heard the testimony from the housekeeper this last week he got a lot done in that hour but you know he, he you know he pre i wonder what this investigator was thinking when he hears Mur murdoch say i pretty much called right away Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much, Abigail. That's that's exactly right. I mean, I and and you know, so I guess I guess I come from a tainted right. We come from a tainted position because we've we've experienced the death of a child, and I, I can tell you, it's it's insanity. And those of you who've also who've been with us for a long time know that you guys as well. Many people in our uh, TIR family have experienced the same thing. And it's in this, but, but here he's, he's describing, you know, Paul's body parts being next to his son 
which I can only, I can't even comprehend what that must have looked like. But then to take that right into, and I picked up his phone. And, but then I was going to call his friends and tell his friends, you know, right. It, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just, it's not lining up. Let, let me continue. Here's Go a ahead. thought on, wait, wait, just real quick before you run that, keep running it. Yeah. Here's, here's a thought. Now that we know that he's on that Snapchat video and did Alex see Paul record all three of them in those dog kennels? you know, five minutes before the murder took place and he tucks it in his head. And then after the murders, he's trying to get that phone. Did he know he was being recorded and he was thinking, oh, I'll just get that phone and erase that? We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Uh, but he introduced it. So that was enough right there to start a conversation. If there was ever a phone discovered, i.e. Maggie's, then, you know, well, of course, I picked up the phone. I told you I picked up the phone that night. You know, one o'clock in the morning, I told you I picked up Paul's phone. You know, I yeah, may or may. And, and then it was, it wasn't until August, it was a couple months after the murders, where Sled came back to him and said, hey, we've got you on video five minutes down at the dog kennels with Maggie and Paul. And it was after that, he was go he had to be going, uh-oh. And that's where... He went back to the housekeeper and was talking about the clothes. This is where he's putting pressure on these, you know, this, this poor staff and trying to uh, secure his alibi even further because he knows he knows he's on video. Yeah, and I just I like this one from Kathy. He does not like the girl in the back. He does not like that sheriff in the back. I totally agree with you, Kathy, 100%. He does, he is so condescending to her. Uh, you can hear it where, you know, I think earlier we says like, what, you know, that, that question, right? I mean, it's like, wow. Okay. Let, let's, uh, because he also introduces the shotgun as we know. Uh, but he said, I think he messes up when he says, I told the dispatcher because we're going to hear the 911 call here. Now, if there's a second 911 tape that I haven't heard, uh, please keep me honest. Uh, but in this particular 911 call, he does not introduce the shotgun. And did he help Maggie a lot out here with the animals? He helped everybody with everything. Okay, so it was kind of routine for him to be out here as well in this, the evening? This place is his absolute passion. Okay. I tried to turn him, and then I tried, and then I checked him, and I, I mean, I, I, I think I already knew, but I checked him. See, you see, that's just kind of a discombobulated word salad. You know, I think I kind of, I, I, I think I, but I already knew, but, but I checked him. Hey, uh, he's trying, he's still trying to tie in this phone concept here. And when you pulled first pulled into the property, did you come from this direction where all our police cars are or which way did you come in? I went to the house. Okay. And then I came from the house 
this way? Straight here, yes, ma'am. Okay. I mean, where my vehicle mm -hmm. was parked is probably... Is, is where it was, okay. Well, no, maybe not mm -hmm. exactly, but it was pretty close because okay. I came back the same route. That's right, because you went back to get your shotgun. When I came okay. back. Now, she dropped that on him uh, to see where he's going to go with it. And he didn't disagree. See, he's thinking. And you'll notice, see, even in court, when you see him in court, he's constantly, you know, doing this. Like, uh-huh, mm-hmm. He's constantly moving, you know, in an affirmative, like, okay, I'm thinking, this is his thinking. But look at his eyes. He's looking over to the left at the sled agent to see what's in his notebook, what's on his notebook. See that? He's clearly looking at the sled agent. There's a, even a better one. All right. Um, okay. <laughs> you know, he's like, man, are, are, am, is this, is this waterbed going to be sold or what here? You know, <laughs> you know, the, I, I, I'm working, I'm working overtime here. can't think of anything else right now, but, you know, we'll certainly be in touch. Um, Thank y'all for everything y'all are doing. Yes, sir. So, you know, just to count. Okay. So, you know, again, compliment the dispatcher, compliment the investigators in the car. Um, you know, I don't know if they've done much other than talk to him and started to call in the Calvary to take a look at his son and his sweet wife. I'll let you know what's going to go on. We're going to and by the way, you know, I mean, this would be the time where he's got to be thinking, you know what? I should call all my lawyer friends and have them over. And we should have a conference about what we're going to talk about before sled comes in and interviews us again. Let's get our story straight. We'll be out here for quite some time. Um, in the corner, we'll take custody of Paul and Maggie. Can I answer that? Yeah. yeah. What? <laughs> no, let me, I, we're finished. Let me come out. Hey, well, I'll be here when he gets here. Hmm. No, don't let him come up here. Okay, yeah. I think we're about done. <clears throat> All right, thank you. I'm sorry. Buster, in here. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, I dropped my card. Okay. Uh, we'll get you another one. one. <clears throat> sorry. I'll get you one. Well, that was a quick emotional burst. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so the coroner will come over and talk to you. Um, you know, they'll do the autopsy and everything, and then go from there. Thank um, you. But we'll come to you before we leave. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you, <clears throat> Thank yes, you Mr. Rutland. Yes, sir. Oh, Thank you very sir. much. <clears throat> Here, you want this water? Oh, yes, please. Thank you. Yep. Okay, the next part of this is going to be the 911 call. And remember, he said that he told the dispatcher 
uh, about the shotgun. Okay. Now, this is his call. Uh, I don't know if there's a second one, but this is the one that's available. And I, I had to put this picture up because it's just audio. I knew they were gone, quote unquote, but I need a police and an ambulance immediately. Now, I know this guy's been a prosecutor and he's got two dead people in front of him. You might as well call the paramedics. Instead of coming up right away. My wife and child just got badly. Okay, you said 4147 Moselle Road in Allison? Sir? You said 4147 No, I didn't say anything. I'm, I'm anticipating the next line. No, okay. go ahead and play it. Go ahead and play it. <laughs> Sorry. It's 4147 Moselle Road. I've been up to it now. It's bad. Okay. Oh. Okay. And are they brief? Now, in that particular comment, I've been up to it now. It's bad. Made it sound like he wasn't there yet when he was calling the 911, but that he was approaching it. Whereas in a statement, he got there, rolled him over, you know, saw the body parts, looked at his, ran to Maggie, but then he changed it and came back and the phone thing. But in this call, it sounds like, you know, as if he's arriving and discovering the bodies and calling 911. No, ma'am. Okay. And you said it's your wife and your son? My wife and my son. Are they in a vehicle? No, ma'am. They're on the ground out at my kennel. <laughs> okay. And did you see anyone? Okay. Is he breathing at all? No. No. Is she? Okay. Do you see anything? Do you see anyone in the area? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. What color is your house on the outside? What color is your house on the outside? Uh, it's white. You can't see it from the road. Okay. Is it a house or a mobile home? It's a house. Okay. And what is your... <laughs> as if, okay. as if okay. she should have known. It's a house. 
by golly. No, no, the Murdoch? no, no. no. the Murdochs? No, no. Let me interpret what that really meant. Okay. A mobile home? Of course <laughs> I would never live in a mobile home. I'm Alex Murdoch. It's a house. It's an expensive house. I'm sorry I laughed. It, you know, it, again, there's a whole lot of theater and drama going on here. Manufactured. And, you know, it, it's like he's outraged. He would even be asked the question, is it a mobile home? At, you know, at, a, at the most critical time in your life where you need 911, where your, where your wife and son just got sh were killed. And you're, that's just like a natural reflex. Like, of course, I don't live in a mobile home. Okay, I'm done. Well, and, and, I, I was just like, are you I always love me? your commentary yes, because you're reaction. targeted. It's beautiful. Well, you know what's interesting also is this 911 call makes it sound like he's discovering them. All right? Yeah, what, it makes it sound like he's driving up and seeing this as he's talking on the phone. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's the that's the read I'm getting. Am I am I missing something here? You know, it sounds like he's pulling up. Oh my gosh! And he's going up there. It's his family. They've been murdered, and I'm calling nine one one, discovering them. When his statement is, I get up there. You know, Paul's dead. He she's you know. I run towards Maggie. I flip him over. Well, wait a minute. The phone falls out, but I put it back. Okay. And is, I guess I need to call 911. Okay. But we know that time frame is discombobulated now based on the testimony that's been put out. Because it was pretty much, pretty much an hour later. Pretty much. Yeah. Even if it took Ellie a long time to get there, uh, you know, the dispatcher did a good job. You know, typically, you know, you keep them on the line till Ellie gets there because it's a homicide and you don't know where the shooter is. But somehow well, he's got... Go ahead. And, you know, here's another interesting thing, too. Um, the 911 dispatcher, she, you can tell she's good and meaning she's done this many times. So she knows if it's, you know, something super serious, death, gunshot, whatever she kind of goes back to the basics like, okay, what color is your house, right? Meaning the person is so much in shock, so distraught on the phone, you can't think, you can't remember your address. Um, I'm standing outside, it's a white house, right? Because she just wants to get emergency vehicles there as quickly as and succinctly as possible, you know? So I just thought that was kind of interesting. She's acting like he, sh he, she's asking him questions like he should be a stunned in shock survivor and clearly he's you know the instigator manipulator of this whole traumatic event you know that was so good i gotta play it again i'm sorry he's advising that his wife and child was shot okay and sir give me the address again it's 41 47 Moselle Road. I've been up to it now. It's bad. Okay. Oh. Okay. And are they breathing? No, ma'am. Okay. And you said it's your wife and your son? My wife and my son. Are they in a vehicle? 
no ma'am, they're on the ground out at my kennel. Okay, and did you see anyone? Okay, is he breathing at all? No, no Is she? Okay, do you see anything? Do you see anyone in the area? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. What color is your house on the outside? What color is your house on the outside? Uh, it's white. You can't see it from the road. Okay, is it a house or a mobile home? It's a house. Okay, and what is your name? My name is Alec Murdoch. I'm sorry. Okay, did you hear anything, or did you come home and find them? No, man, I've been gone. I, I just came back. Okay, and was anyone else supposed to be at your house? No, ma'am. Okay, remember, we're listening to the shotgun. We're getting somebody out there to you. Oh. Oh, man. Oh. Uh-huh. Okay, what is her name? Maggie, Maggie and Paul. Uh, Maggie is her name? Uh, yes, ma'am. Okay. And please hurry. Uh, we're getting somebody out there to you. Me asking you these questions. Don't slow them down, okay? And you sure they're not breathing? Is he moving at all, your son? I know you said that she was shot, but what about your son? <laughs> Nobody's. They're not. Neither one of them's moving. What is your telephone number? So, at what point would he be rolling Paul over while on the phone with dispatch? And does anything look out of place? Ma'am, I, I, not, not particularly, really, no, ma'am. Okay. Nothing looks out of place, right? Okay. There's a door opening. All right, I'm going back down there. So I'm going back down there. He went to, do you hear the door of the vehicle open? And this correlates to the testimony of the door and the engine, I think, um, in the suburban. But listen real carefully. Just before he says, I'm going back down there, you hear a door close.
I don't think he ran to the house. I don't know if he could run to that, the, that far back to the house because you would hear the phone. He's on the phone with the dispatcher, and you would hear him running and panting. Is he moving at all, your son? I know you said that she was shot, but what about your son? <laughs> Nobody's. They're not. Neither one of them's moving. What is your telephone number? And does anything look out of place? Ma'am, I, I, not, not particularly, really, no, ma'am. Okay. He's not out of breath. Okay. That's a door opening. That's a door closing. All right, I'm going back down there. I'm going back down there. But remember, he talked about his truck being parked right in the uh, interview with the sled agents, right about where it was, but not exactly, he said. And then the, the sheriff uh, slipped him up by saying, oh, you mean where you, when you went to get the shoddy? And he bought it. He bought it. But now this tape, um, he's not going to, there's no mention of a shotgun. So they locked him in on the live. Good work. There goes the door again. I don't know what that is. But you hear the key. Close, ma'am. Yeah, they're, they've been in route with you ever since you've got on the phone with me. I have multiple people coming out there to you. Okay, can you do me a favor, Mr. Murdoch, and turn on the flashers on your car so that way they can see where the kennels are? Do you have your flashers on for Yeah, that sounds like messages hitting this phone. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like he's got, is it the same phone or does he have two phones? Because he's on a phone with the dispatcher. So does he, is he doing, does he have a phone in this hand and a phone in this hand? Let's go back and listen to that for a second. Because we'd have to go back and listen to his interview when he got the some text messages or a call coming in to the phone that's reset. Yeah, those are messages coming in. Sounds like that. Okay, 
can you do me a favor, Mr. Murdoch, and turn on the flashers on your car so that way they can see where the kennels are? Do you have your flashers on for me, Mr. Murdoch? Yes. Okay. I don't want you to touch them at all, okay? I don't I don't know if you've already touched them, but I don't I don't want you to touch them just in case they can get any kind of evidence, okay? I I already touched them trying to get a um to see if they were breathing. Okay. Well, I I just don't want you to move anything just in case they can get any kind of evidence, okay? Oh. Ma'am, I'm going to call. I, I need to call some of my family. Okay. Well, well, do me a favor. Okay, now. What, what do you think, Karen? Why wouldn't you stay on with dispatch until the first units arrived, knowing how grave this is? Um, it's almost like, well, okay, dispatch has everybody coming, but I got to hang up. I got to call my family. I mean, this has been about him from day one, from the, from the word go. What about his two family members laying on the ground? How about we make sure that, that uh, first responders get there? It's on a very remote road. There's nobody else around. Well, there, there is another little house down the road, not his. But it's, let, let's make sure that, you know, police and, and, and help comes. What's more important? So I think that's very telling, this like, hey, I got to get off the phone. I got to get my family over here. Well, you know, I don't know. That's just my opinion. What do you think? No, I mean, and he hasn't introduced the shotgun yet to the dispatcher. He's going to call his family. For me, whenever you see the officer or the medics, because they're they're all coming to you. Absolutely. Okay, but we have them come in. Turn on the flashes on your vehicle so they can see you. Okay. You got the flashes on for me. I do. Okay. All right. Just whenever you see them. Okay. How old is your son? Twenty-two. Okay. All right. We're we're getting them out there to you. Okay. And I will answer if you call. All right. Did okay. he just say I'll answer if you call? Yes. So he is hanging up with dispatch to, um, to call family. Right. He's he's out of there. I'm calling, you know, remember, and well, what's interesting though, did anybody hear him say, I'm going to the house to get a shotgun? No. No, that's a, that's a, no. uh, mm -mm. that's a mistake. And you know, see, that was the, I think that maybe we'll hear the DA talk about that one coming up, but, um, they're going to play this tape. They haven't played this tape yet that I, that I was aware of in the court yet. Um, but so the shotgun, the only reason, you know, 
the shotguns in play here is because one, he volunteered it, and he also volunteered the nine one the uh, cell phone. And of course, we know that Maggie's phone is gone. It was discovered, you know, away from the body. Paul's phone was discovered on his body, or at least laying next to it, or something close to that. Um, and then we haven't heard from the ME yet to see if uh, we know there was a close contact wound of stippling. We heard about that. We know there's gunshot residue. What else, uh, what are some of the highlights this week, Karen, that, that you picked up on? Oh, well, there were so many, as you all know, if you've been following this. Um, well, since we're coming up on two hours here, let me just do a very, very brief overview of just a couple of things. Um, are you good with that, Chris? Yeah, hon. Go ahead. In, the, in time. Okay. So, okay, we're moving off of the night of, in terms of the 911 call. Um, you know, what we saw this week, which was most stunning, is how Alec tried to plant narratives and uh, about the night of the murders. And just, you know, the two ones that stood out to me, um, the housekeeper, Blanca Simpson. Wow, I was, we were all riveted to every word. We were hanging on to her every word, what she was describing, her conversation with Maggie, how Maggie called her in a uh, hunting room made a cup of coffee, closed the door. Alec was in a different room on the other side of the house. And here she has to, she's confessing, oh my goodness, I'm so, you know, so upset about this $30 million lawsuit from the boat wreck um, and all that. We don't have that kind of money. And, you know, she wishes the whole thing would go away. And, you know, that was incredible. But even more in, you know, even more important perhaps is uh, the housekeeper statement where, um, we go back to the close and what Alec was doing from the time of the shoot, you know, 850 time of the shooting until he called 911. And where did his clothes go? Where did the the uh, outfit he had on clearly would have blood and, and other stuff on it? And, you know, she, this, the housekeeper says that, um, you know, that uh, she was asked if she remembered him wearing the Vineyard Vine shirt. Um, the evening of the murders. And then he's trying to, you know, make her think that that's what he was wearing. You know, I was wearing the shirt that day. Well, she didn't buy it. She didn't say anything to him when he confronted her. She knew darn well because she fixed his collar, which was, you know, on his way out the door that morning. And she remembers the sea foam color of the shirt. And it wasn't Vineyard Vines. And, you know, down to the shoes he was wearing. And so that was very, very telling. And then the other incident we, we heard about the former caregiver, Miss Shelley, uh, Michelle Smith, and where she is, um, Alex tries to convince her about the time that he spent over at his parents' house the night of the murders. And he, he had, was trying to tell her, don't you remember I was there 30 to 40 minutes? Well, no, she recalled 15, maybe 20 minutes. And that was more in line with the um, vehicular data that Sled had on his Chevy Suburban that was parked there. So, you know, we see him trying to do cleanup after the murder in terms of, you know, planting narratives, intimidating people. Um, I want to go back just to just to make a, a real quick point. We talked about how um, back on this video we just showed, 
um, of the interview in the car the night of the murders, how he snapped at that female officer. Uh, I think you could make a pretty strong case that perhaps Alec didn't care for women in uh, maybe, you know, outside of the home type of idea. Uh, I'm just I'm just making that a point. I, I think it goes right in line with his narcissistic personality. And, you know, it's you you hear how he treats people. And of course, we've seen from how he uh, uh, the the in- incredible parade of witnesses on the stand that have just painted this picture of this man's desperation and misdeeds, and of course, all the financial crim- crimes, alleged crimes. He hasn't been convicted of them, but you know the alleged crimes, um, financial crimes his self-admitted opioid addiction um, and all that. So, you know, there's, there is one other thing. There was so much there. And of course, starting tomorrow morning, we're going to get even more this week. Prosecution's going to be wrapping up. Uh, I think we were told uh, by midweek defense says they need about five days to go through their um, material and uh, witnesses. Um, I, th- I want to go, but since we're going back to the beginning, in terms of the 911 call, the night of the murders, June 7th, 2021, when um, Alec Murdoch's wife, Maggie, 52 years old, and his 22-year-old son, Paul, their lives were taken. Uh, there was, I think, uh, this this um, incident kind of encapsulates a lot of what we need to know about the Murdoch family. Right before this trial started, there was a large portrait, a painting, hanging up in the courthouse. Um, And this was of Alec Murdoch's late grandfather, who was um, the 14th Circuit Solicitor. This gentleman's name was Randolph Buster Murdoch Jr. And the judge, Judge Clifton Newman, by the way, gotta love this judge. He's incredible. Um, he ordered the removal of the painting. They took down the painting of Alec Murdoch's grandfather from the courthouse before the trial began. And if that isn't an actual physical display of, you know, the crumbling, the dismantling of the Murdoch name by the grandson, Alec, you know, what a metaphor for what we're seeing you know, play out in the trial. Yeah, no, it's, and when we were there, I mean, and I don't know if you guys know this or not, but, you know, Karen and I lived Mm -hmm. in South Carolina for about five years and uh, up in the Mount Pleasant area at the time. And so we're familiar with this area as a whole. Um, And the culture here, I mean, the people are just, just the most amazing, loving people uh, you can you can get to know, uh, and you know, I mean, we met some pretty interesting names uh, around this area. I mean, the Porches and a variety of other predominant names, and we'd not, you know, and of course, you know, I'm not from here, so I don't know the name of uh, Murdoch, but I do know, and we we have experienced. Um, this culture here and it's kind of like the area that they were in in that area over there had it you know at some point 
where he was living and his grandfather was living and its heyday was quite the area. Um, and you can tell he was living off of the, the coattails of his family name. Um, I don't really, I mean, his son got booted out of law school for cheating. Um, the one still with us. Uh, the other son gets into a, um, you know, boating accident, kills an amazing 19-year-old up-and-coming young lady, um, injures the rest of the boat. I mean, one guy broke his jaw, another one, you know, another girl, her hand was severely injured. They're getting sued for all of that. Maggie makes a comment to the to the effect of, look, you know, $30 million. Uh, we go over to the house um, in Edesto, uh, Edisto Island and look at the beach house and walk around there for a little bit. And it's, you know, the dynasty, it just seemed like it was almost a facade. And, you know, the financial problems that he was having with the addictions and his son, those problems, the other boy, there are other cases that their name is, you know, tied into um, that are now being reopened. And there's just a tremendous amount of mishigash, as we'll call it, around them. And it's really interesting. And by the way, the beach house at the time it was purchased for I think it was like four hundred thousand, right, Karen? Yeah, they bought it in two thousand three for four hundred thousand dollars. While it's a nice house, um, in today's market, it's it's not considered overly fancy. That um, a home that um, generational wealth owns. Um, not I'm not saying that's just a you know that's just a fact and. Yeah, I th I think they're I think the descriptions of their wealth, um, you know, were were accurate. It's hard to know how much wealth they had that Alec squandered. That's gone because we know he allegedly stole money from his clients and his law firm, et cetera, et cetera. Huge, you know, to the tune of close to nine million dollars, from what we've heard. And you know, it's hard to know how much their personal assets were worth. It's hard to know what he would be potentially inheriting as one of four kids uh, from his mom, Libby, who, um, you know, she's still alive, even though she's got very advanced Alzheimer's. It's a little bit hard to know. And, you know, I described the I described that area as that family was big fish in a little pond. And, you know, and somebody said it very well here in chat. Um, you know, the first generation makes it and by maybe the third generation, you know, it's gone. Um, and the, well, the beach house was, um, there's some dis discrepancy if it was sold yet. There's a sold sign on there, you know, still. The, you know, still the, and um, there's, you know, the realtor has said it's, you know, in the process of um, it's not a multi-million dollar beach house. And into the, you guys got to understand, oh, wait a minute. Go ahead. Into in today's market, a million dollars along the beach doesn't really get you 
as much as it did 20, 30, 40 years ago. That's just reality. That's just a fact. But anyway, beyond the beach house and beyond those dollars, it is, it's hard to know. Um, but as, tar as far as tarnishing the family name, clearly, clearly, this guy has done it uh, to a large degree. And, you know, I just want to make one comment. There's a really great book. Chris and I read it together not long ago. It's called Ego is the Enemy. And, um, you know, it just talks about that this narcissism and the ego, um, people become successful and they become their own worst enemies. They do a self-destruction. They circle the drain. And it, and, it, and it has to get so bad before it stops. And, you know, Alex Murdaugh is responsible for his own undoing, clearly. Um, you know, all the collateral damage is what we all are watching and is so horrific to watch uh, as it plays out on, um, on the stage of the state-sponsored state theater, otherwise known is the court trial. Yeah, and this is a really good point here. Uh, Alex ruined the family, but think how much tourism the town will get now. Yeah, you know what? That is a good point. You know, it's a good point. But, you know, the fact that uh, the family name is, you know, Paul was a man's man, quote unquote, from dad. You know, and he couldn't punch back. And it seems like the grandfather, you know, the picture being in the courthouse with the judge saying, take it down. You've got to love that judge, you know. Uh, not having headstones, Father speaks volumes. That was certainly interesting, wasn't it? That it was. was and, and also, in um, we saw Randolph Murdaugh the first. We saw his grave at that same cemetery. There was a small section uh, with a Murdaugh headstone, and it was the first. So it's it was Alex Alex's great grandfather. And to be honest, I was sort of expecting at the cemetery, just with the reputation, everything we've heard about the Murdoch family, that there was going to be a huge section and the family members, Maggie and Paul, would be in that. And we were really surprised. There was um, one large headstone. It had the great grandfather and the great grandmother's graves there. You could see because it's in 1940. And um, by the way, his great grandfather, Randolph Murdoch the um, first, he died in a mysterious way. He drove his car onto some train tracks in the middle of the night, and a train came and hit it, hit him, hit the car. And uh, I guess there was some mystery back in 1940 surrounding that. They thought it may have been a suicide. Ultimately, it was ruled an accident. Nevertheless, at that cemetery, that Maggie and Paul's um, graves were also next near Randolph the third. Um, that would be Alex's father, who passed away three days after the murders. And you know, Chris and I were like, "Well, is did somebody order a large headstone? And what is the plan for this to honor these people?" So we don't know. We don't know if there's ever going to be a headstone. Who knows? But you know, you, there's a story to be told as well at the cemetery.
Yeah, there is definitely a story, and there are many more stories to be told. Uh, this is right out of, I think everybody would agree, right out of um, central casting in Hollywood. This is, uh, there are going to be a lot of books and a lot of stories about this one. And um, I can't wait to hear what Cousin Eddie, when everybody's calling him Cousin Eddie. I can't, I hope the DA puts him on uh, to talk about, you know, the shooting. Because if you guys get a chance, go look at our video. We just, when we went out there uh, about a couple of days ago and showed everybody where that took place. I know a family, a family with similar status and they were equally insufferable. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts, sweetheart? I think we're all going to stay tuned this week for the next unfolding chapter in the drama. And we will, we will come back with you to, uh, give our opinions and our insights as the trial continues. All right, everybody. So, um, as we sign off here this evening, we want to thank each and every one of our subscribers, our members, our Patreon members. Uh, we are just so grateful to each and every one of you. And all we ask, all that Karen and I ask, uh, is just hit that subscribe button, hit that share, tell your friends, you know, tweet us out, put us on Instagram, Facebook, wherever, uh, because it's because of you uh, that we're growing the way we're growing. Uh, we are grateful for that. And it's also uh, that support allows us uh, to, to keep going to these um, areas like this and hopefully uh, give you content that you find is valuable and honest and truthful. Uh, go see that podcast uh, with Mandy. It's called The Murdoch Murders. She does an outstanding job there. Uh, I, I love helping anybody that needs help, you know, hit her button and subscribe as well as others. Um, you know, there's, I have an abundance attitude as Napoleon Hill says, right? As the mind of man conceives and believes, the mind of man achieves. Continue to think good things and good things will always happen to you. God bless you all. Have a great evening. And we'll see you on the next one. Have a good one. Hard working every day. I'm stressed out. 24 7, babe. No, no timeouts. Wish we could fly away. You and I go to our favorite place. Oh, yeah, yeah. Make special memories together I'll be your company now and forever I say we fly away, you and me Go to our favorite place Feeling the sun on my face in a
Yeah, we're taking away, yeah, we're taking away. We're